Bibles to John chapter 11. We'll begin looking in verse 17. Thank the Lord for... And I think it's true because... And stepping from death to life. I always wonder what that experience was like for him. Uh, did he want to come back? <laughs> you know, if to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Um, what happened on those four days? We don't have an expose. He didn't write a, didn't write a book for us to, to know, but we know that God in his graciousness brought him back. But the story is not necessarily about Lazarus being resurrected. That is uh, part of it, but the main thrust of the story is what Jesus says himself that this happens in verse 4, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Uh, all that happens in the Bible, all that happens in our lives is for the reason um, that we sometimes don't remember that it's, it's God's name being glorified, God name, God's name being exalted in our midst and in our life. So in this section of Scripture, we're going to talk about the beginning, this is part one, of, of the Son of God being glorified, the Son of God Glorified, And what we will see in this section, the follower of Jesus must look to him in times of struggle and completely trust in him. The follower of Jesus must look to him in times of struggle and completely trust in him. Verse 17 of John 11. So when Jesus came, he found that he, he is Lazarus, had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, brothers and sisters, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. This is the word of the Lord. So from last week's story, Jesus is told that Lazarus is sick. Jesus delays, although Lazarus is already dead, as we talked about last week. He is now heading to Bethany to see this corpse. Martha, we hear, uh, we read of, she hears that Jesus is coming and she, and she runs to him. Now, I want you to think about what Martha is thinking as she's coming to Jesus, as she's first waiting for Jesus. We see it expressed earlier when she said, if you'd been here. Mary's going to say the same thing later on. If you'd been here, we wouldn't have this trauma in our life. But I want you to think about how she felt during those four days. But I think about even more than four days because he's been dead four days. He may have been sick a few weeks earlier. The angst, the longing, the desire, the thought of loss. This could be a sickness to death. Lazarus, you could, you could go. This could be the last time I see you, Lazarus. She may have seen him take his last breath. 
We know that she buried him. How do you think she's feeling? The one who could have changed it didn't. The one who could have done something hasn't, and he's coming. How do you think she's feeling? Ecclesiastes says, no man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind. Our authority over the day of death. She has no control over the death of her loved one, her brother. She is completely distraught. Job 14, man who was born of woman is short of is short-lived and full of turmoil. Like a flower, he comes forth and withers. He also flees like a shadow and does not remain. Describing death as Solomon's case, we can't control it. In this case, life's hard. Life comes and life goes, and it happens rather quickly. Psalm 90, verse 10, As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone, and we, what? Fly away. James would go on to say, what? That our life is but a vapor that appears for a little time, and then what? Vanishes away. Life is fleeting. Life's fast. The older I get, I'm realizing how fast it really does go. I just graduated back in 1990. I just graduated. I was just walking across the stage getting my diploma, and then now I'm 55 now. What happened? How is it going so fast? Life is so quick. And the older I get, and you know, I'm strange. You guys know I let you in my world. I'm strange. You can say it with me. I know you already talk about me. That dude's weird. I agree. But I think you're weird too. I find myself when I look at the newspaper online, because you do it too. When I go to the newspaper online, I don't go to the sports section first anymore. You know what section I go to? The obituaries. Oh, I wonder who died that I know now. That's how I think. I don't think that's more, but I just think it's a reality. And Karen and I find ourselves, I was like, we are our parents. We should make that commercial. We have turned into our parents. Karen, guess who died? You'll never guess who died, Karen. Like, what happened? I never did that at 21. You don't do that, do you, brother? See, look at him. He's like, these guys are weird. Life's leading. Life goes so very, very quickly. Death comes so, hap- so very, very fast. Death and difficulties will darken our door. Eric Clapton expressed it, expressed it this way when he wrote a song about the death of his son. Time can bring you down. Time can bend you to your knees. Time can break your heart. Have you begging, please? Begging, please, he says. It happens so fast. It goes so quickly. It's over so quickly. But what hope do we have? What can we do? Who do we trust? What do we call upon? Who do we call upon? I would suggest to you that there's a lesson for us in Martha's life. A couple things that we'll see about her this morning. The glorious Son of God provides hope to those who are broken. Number one, we see the broken draw near to Jesus. She hears that Jesus is coming. There are these Jews gathering. Now notice, the Jews that are gathering to console them in verse 19 aren't really consoling them because If we try to find hope in other men who don't know Jesus, they can't give us hope. They can give us clever little sayings and little niceties. Oh, he's in a... 
They'll say what they can say. It'll be all right, brother or sister. It's going to be okay. That's not how you're feeling at the time. Those Jews who are trying to console them can't console them, but Martha knows somebody. Martha's got an end with somebody. Martha realizes that there's a man from Galilee. Martha realizes that there's a son, the son of God, who is coming, and I need to go meet him. I need to draw near him. My hope is in him. And she draws near. She went to meet him. Oh, brothers and sisters, my prayer for every blood-bought believer in this room, have you come to meet Jesus? I don't want you to come to see me. I'm not here to put on a show for you. I'm here to introduce you to the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus. That's who I want you to meet. Forget me. Forget your family and friends in this room. Forget mama today. You come to meet Jesus. She wanted to get to Jesus. That's who we want to introduce you to. Jesus. Draw near to him. See Jesus this morning. She went to meet him. Isn't it wonderful that we can meet our God? We can meet our Savior. Deuteronomy 4, verse 7. For what great nation is there that a God is so near to it as the Lord our God whenever we call upon him? The nation of Israel had that. To call upon God whenever they wanted him. Psalm 145, the Lord is near to all who call upon him. To all who call upon him in truth, he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. Draw near. She sees that Jesus is coming and she comes to him. Where would we be if we couldn't come to Jesus, brother? Where else would we go? So the broken Draw near to Jesus. Number two, the broken can have honest communication with Jesus. It's going to be interesting as we approach this section. Look at verse 21. Let's spend a little time here. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And that's emphatic. It's not this like reverent, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would have lived. I wouldn't be broken right now. My hopes wouldn't have been dashed right now. I wouldn't be distraught right now if you just would have come. She's very honest with him. Can I tell you, brothers, I'm always amazed at Christians. I used to be this way too, so pious. I would never doubt the Lord and his goodness. I would never question his providence in my life. That was good when I was taking systematic theology at LBC and when I took Theology 101 in seminary. It sounded so rich on those papers. But then something happened called life. I'm always amazed at people. I would never question God. Please. I would never think ill of God. I was like, well, you're unlike most biblical characters who question things of God. Martha questions, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. What is wrong with you, Jesus? I'll give you a couple of verses, and I'm going to ask you to turn to a few. Psalm 55, verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. Well, what are those burdens, brothers and sisters? The honest hurts that we have. 1 Peter 5, 7, you know what casting 
most of your anxiety on him? Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You can tell him how you feel. I'm always amazed and I heard a pastor say this some years ago. It's not like you're hiding your feelings. He knows how you feel anyway. He knows if you're doubting. He knows if you're angry. He knows if you're frustrated. Got your Bibles. Keep your finger there in John chapter 11 and go back with me to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. Look in verses 1 and 2. Is this psalmist, the inspired word of God, is he being honest with God? You tell me as we read. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all day long? How long, Lord, am I going to go through this pain? How long, Lord, is my loved one going to suffer? How long, Lord, is this cancer going to be, uh, I'm going to be facing this? How long is this marriage going to be bad? How long is this situation going to continue in my life, God? Some would say that's irreverent to ask God that question. It's not irreverent, brothers and sisters. It's honest. If you think this one's bad, go to Psalm 44. Very honest. We can have honest communication with God. Psalm 44, 23 through 26. This isn't irreverent, brothers and sisters. It's honest. Arouse yourself. Why do you sleep, O Lord? What's he saying? God, are you sleeping on my situation? Wake up. Why do you hide your face? And forget our affliction and our oppression, for our soul has sunk down into the dust. Our body cleaves to the earth. Rise up, be our help, and redeem us for the sake of your loving kindness. Brothers and sisters, when you're going through something, you can be honest with God. I have said to God, God, I don't know if you got this one right. Now, intellectually, do I understand all of providence? No, but I believe it. God, I don't understand, Lord, why you did that one. Some of us have lost babies as infants. We shake our head, Lord, I, I, Lord, I, I don't understand that one. Two things I want you to remember when you're going through distress in your communication with the Father. You can be incredibly honest with him. Number two, he'll be incredibly honest with you too. You can go to his word and find honest communication about how to deal with your situation. Be honest with him. I'm amazed that why do we become so pious and our situations are jacked up and we all do it. You guys have heard me say this before. We're going to do it as soon as this service is over. Jared, how you doing, Jared? Fine, everybody's fine. How about we change and we ask this question? Maybe we'll pull something out of somebody. Ask brothers and sisters, how can I be praying for you, brother? What's on your heart that I can be praying for you about? Well, brother, since you ask, situation with my son's not real good or situation, I can be honest with you and I can be honest with God and prayerfully That brother or sister that you share with will be honest with you about God's word. 
Because God's going to be honest with us when we're going through situations from his word. We're going to see that play out in this story. But first, brothers and sisters, we just have to be honest. She is honest with Jesus about how she's feeling. Now, is her theology right? We'll talk about that here in a moment. No, it's not. But when you're in distress and you're distraught and you're in that time of darkness and you've lost someone, you're not going to see that clearly at times. Just being honest with you. Cast your burden upon the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Casting your anxiety on him. All of it, brothers and sisters. So we can draw near to God when we're broken. We can have honest communication with God. We will not always see clearly while we're in the pain. Go back to John chapter 11. Martha makes an assumption here that unfortunately some in Christianity have made. What does she say? Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. In other words, if Jesus would have showed up, the problems would have went away. How is that filtered into our modern thinking? Well, you become a Christian and everything is fine. Everything gets better. There are no issues. Martha thinks if Jesus wouldn't have come, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Jesus has already said, I am here that I'm going to glorify the Father. And if that means people die in the glorification of the Father, that's okay. How do we know that that's what Jesus thought? Notice what I just said. If it's okay for people to die to glorify the Father, how do we know that Jesus supported that idea? He gave his life to glorify the Father. The disciples would give their lives to glorify the Father. But when you're in the midst of it, you don't always see clearly. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But remember what Martha's seen. Let's give her some credit here. John chapter 4, remember the official comes and asks Jesus to heal my son. What does Jesus do? Does he go to the son? Nope. Go. Your son's been healed. Do you think Martha's around saying, all he had to do was say the word. If he just heard, the one whom you love is sick, all you've got to say, Jesus, be healed. She thinks that because Jesus is coming that the pain will go away. Maybe you're an unbeliever in this room. and I'm going to clearly communicate to you. I don't know what you've heard about Christianity, but I'm going to dismiss some idea, one idea for you for sure. If you become a Christian, doesn't mean life's going to get easier. You'll have peace in the midst of the storm, but it doesn't mean the storm's going to go away. Because I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth. The storm may get worse. People may hate you more if you become a believer. They may hate you, but you'll realize that there's one who loves you. You'll fall more in love with him day by day. We used to sing a song, he gets sweeter and sweeter. He's altogether lovely, son of God. She doesn't see clearly. Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. One commentator said, they're speaking of people who are in grief. Their grieving minds grope in the shadows. Isn't that true? You ever been there before and you don't see clearly and you begin to think, pick up bad theology? And you begin to think all these bad things about God? Anybody been in that dark time? You been, begin to doubt God's goodness? 
by the grace of God, I, I have never doubted God's existence, but I've lived like it. What am I going to do? God, what are you doing? Why do you have me in this situation? I thought you were a loving God. I thought you were a kind God and a merciful God. What brings us back, brothers and sisters? The word of God. See, Martha doesn't understand or she has forgotten. Hebrews 9, 27 hasn't been written yet, but the principle is true. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this comes the judgment. People will die. What's amazing about the story in John chapter 11 is we get to read the entire thing. We know what happens at the end, right? Lazarus is going to, she doesn't know that. We know. But what's going to happen to Lazarus later on, brothers and sisters? He's going to die. The pain's not going to go away. She still has, they still have to understand the context of death. They still have to navigate through death, as do you. Death is the great equalizer, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that many well-meaning Christians, I'm going to say they're well-meaning, don't understand why death takes place. Well, death is natural. Death is not natural. Death is the result of the fall. The day you eat, you shall surely die. Cancer doesn't kill you. Sin does. It's sin that kills. Sin entering in the world. Cancer is the manifestation of that sin, but it's sin that killed. If Adam wouldn't have eaten... Sin would have been brought into the world, but it was. The day you eat, you shall surely die. Romans 5, verse 12. Just as one through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men. You don't want to know, want to know why people die? Because of sin. That's why. So we need one who can change that situation, who can bring about life, even though we die physically, the Lord Jesus Christ. She doesn't understand that we're going to die. She doesn't understand, as Jesus would say later, in this world, you have tribulation, but take courage. What? I have overcome the world. You're going to have difficulties, brothers and sisters, in life. The older you get, the more you keep living, difficulties will come. We will not always see clearly in the pain. That's why, brothers and sisters, can I just add this as a little caveat? When you're going through difficulties, don't run away from the church. Run to the church. And what... <laughs> When I mean church, by the way, I don't mean just run into this building as something's magical going to happen when you come through these doors. Nothing magical is, a, it's, there's nothing magical about these doors or these pews. It's the people in those pews that you can draw near to them and say, I'm broken, brothers and sisters. I don't understand this. Help me. Stimulating one another to love and good deeds. That's what church attendance is about. Coming together. When you're, she understands Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. She understands John 5. Jesus is Daniel 12, verse 2, talks about the resurrection. We know that she is not a Sadducee. She believes in the resurrection. She says, that what she's saying, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on that last day. I know he's going to be in glory, but Lord, I'm broken right now. But Jesus gives her a promise. He's going to rise again. He doesn't stop there, though, does he? In verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
Jesus gives her the word of the Lord by about himself. I am the resurrection and life. Another I am statement of Jesus. He is God. He's not just the bread of life that we saw in John chapter 6. He's not just the light of the world in John chapter 8, verse 12. He's not just the door. He's not just the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. Tells us a couple things about Jesus as we think about it. Number one, he is the source of eternal life. You want eternal life and glory, you've got to come through Jesus who is the door. He is the resurrection and the life. He's the only resurrection in life. We've talked about the exclusivity of Christianity, the exclusivity of Jesus. He says he's the only way. I don't care what they say about Buddha or Muhammad or other ways. Jesus says, I'm the way. He's the only way. He is the source. Not only is the source, he is the supplier of eternal life. He who believes in a series of truths regarding things or your Christian dogma. Is that what it says? He who believes in me, trust in me. He is the supplier. It's belief in Jesus, brothers and sisters. It's not about your church attendance. It's not about how much Bible you know. Do you know Jesus? You already know the second question. Does Jesus know you? Everybody thinks they know Jesus. Oh, yeah, me and Jesus are homies. We're good. Does Jesus know you? He is the supplier. He is the source. You've got to believe in him. Reminds you that this whole gospel is about believing in Jesus. I have written these things that they might believe, and by believing they have life in his name. That's why John wrote this. Not only is he a source, is he the supplier, he's the sustainer of eternal life. Everyone, hallelujah, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. I'm going to live forever. I don't have to worry about that. I will fly away one glad morning. When this life is over, I will fly away. I need banjo. Dave, come on up and sing that for us. You got to sing that song with a banjo. I, with a twang, got to put a twang on it. I'll fly away. Eternal life. He is the sustainer. If you believe in Jesus, you will never die. Eternal life. Can I ask you a question, brothers and sisters? In verse 26, I'm going to ask you the same question Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe this? Do you believe? Everything that Jesus has said, do you believe? I am so amazed at this story and the unfortunate skipping of this story that I have done and many in this pulpit and many in commentaries have done. When we think of great confessions of faith in scripture, we think of P. 
Peter in Matthew 16, thou art, KJV, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. We think of Thomas in the upper room, my Lord and my God, but we never think of this woman who makes this profound statement about her belief because we live in such a male-dominated world and male-dominated scripture at least as we've interpreted, that we completely miss Martha's confession of faith, which is what the whole book is about. Believe. She's the first one to come and represent. And we miss it because she's a woman. The commentators give a little bit. Most of the I went through all of them. I got 20. Man, what are they going to say about Martha? Very little, if anything about this woman who is probably uneducated. She's detached from the world. Did I remind you that she's broken? But she can run to Jesus and she finds validation in him. He has opened her eyes that she might believe and look at what she says. Yes, Lord. that'll preach. I almost stopped right there and said, that'll preach right there. If, If Christians would just say, yes, Lord. I've got this plan for your life. Yes, Lord. I want to do this in your life. Yes, Lord. I want you to do something I'm not even going to tell you. Yes, Lord. Parents, ain't that what we want? Yes, Dad. Yes, Mom. Kids? (laughs) He shook his head no. (laughs) I tried to help you, brother. Yes, Lord. Look at what she says. I have believed that you are the Christ the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Yes, Lord, I believe. Martha is a believer. She's a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and she ought to be commended for her faith. Anybody have faith like Peter? Have faith like Daniel? Dare to be a Daniel. We write sermons about David and his mighty men. We Be like Martha. Say what? Have faith like Martha. Martha? She's very clear in what she believes. Yes, Lord, I believe. Jesus, look at what she says, three things about him. You're the Christ, the anointed one. You're the Messiah. You're the son of God. You're God. And finally, he, the Messiah who was returning, the one who was coming into the world. She's got faith in Jesus Christ. She's saved. Look at how she starts. Lord, if you'd been here, now she's got some good news. Jesus has taken her to a deeper place, hasn't he? He knows what he's going to do to Lazarus, but he is talking to her about her faith. Do you believe, Martha? What keeps you from believing here in this room this morning? Seriously, what keeps you from believing? Is there not enough evidence? Do you just want to just flat out reject, I will not have this Christ? What keeps you from believing? Martha says, I believe the Christ, Son of God, he was coming into the world. Man, I pray that you're encouraged by Martha's faith. She's not done though, is she? This broken woman who came before this man, and there's some broken women in here. I read this stat, I read a book on power. I didn't really want to read it, to be quite honest. Um, it was for a class I'm taking, and uh, power dynamics in, in church, 
uh, in ministries. And, and I began to, man, once I got into it, I was like, oh my goodness, this thing is powerful. And, and there was a little stat that jumped out at me that I just, I, 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 I was like, I almost said, I don't believe this. It said four out of 10 women in the church have been abused by someone in an authoritative structure in the church. Now, some of it's sexual abuse. Um, it, it's not all sexual abuse. It was just power exercised over them in a negative way to manipulate or control them. And I began to just, man, I'm a guy, it takes me forever to get through a book because I have to put it down. Then I just got to be like, then I'm starting, I was like, wait a second, there's more women in our church than men. Man, the women are four out of ten, and I'm starting to think about it three times. I was like, wait, so wait a second, Lord, this number, and I don't know all of everyone's story in here, they have possibly been taken advantage of by a counselor or a pastor, someone in the capacity of a religious organization. They've been taken advantage of that? I mean, that broke me. These are image bearers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they've been hurt like that? They've been abused like that and we don't even talk about it? We don't recognize it? It's stinging. But Martha encourages me. Because as she understands Jesus, who Jesus is, the real one should, she should be following, she has freedom. So for those ladies in here today, find your freedom in Christ, please. Young ladies, find your freedom and your validation in Christ, please. Not how you look or how the world says you should look or as you get older, ladies, and, and your body begins to change and you begin to think about, I'm not as beautiful as I once was. Lie from the pit. Fearfully and wonderfully made right where you are, ladies. You're validated by the Lord Jesus Christ. doesn't matter what some guy like me may say about you from some pulpit. Doesn't matter what that lovely husband, when he gets on the rare, rare, rare occasion, he blows it. Right, guys? Because he validates you all the other times. Right, guys? I'm trying to help. I'm trying to help you guys. Might be a time for a hug right now, guys. A little kiss on the cheek or something. Just trying to help you out. Don't say I gave you every chance, guys. Find your validation in him, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what she does. I'll close out here. She draws near to Jesus. She has honest communication about Jesus and her brokenness. Lord, if you've been here, he unpacks that for her. He gives her the word of God. And then finally, she, she goes and encourages someone else, her sister. Yes, I believe. When she had said this, verse 28, she went away and called her sister secretly saying, the teacher, can you see it? It's not the way she left. I've got to believe that. The way she left is not the way she came back. The teacher is here. Brothers and sisters in this room, the teacher is here. Jesus is here. He's, she's not done talking to her, is he? What'd she say? He is, he is calling for you. At every time we'd have Christabel come up softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for, for me. He's calling. Can you imagine those encouraging words? You don't have to do it. I was just kidding, sister. I was just joking. Man, I like that though. She can play it too. Let's go. 
softly and tenderly. Can you hear the words coming out to a sister? This, now, now remember this, who's still broken? Mary's still broken. She hasn't interacted with Jesus. Martha's got the information. Dr. Christ, son of God, the Messiah coming in the world, he's going to rise again. The teacher is calling for you. She's got hope now. The hope that she has, the encouragement that she has, she can now take to someone else. See that, brothers and sisters, when we're broken, we run to the Savior, we find our hope, we find our strength in Him. It's not about just keeping that hope in and of ourselves. Now we go, we tell others about the man from Galilee. Got a special, special treat for you this morning. Um, some, you know, a couple months ago when I knew I was approaching this subject. I just was praying. I try to, by the grace of God, meditate on passages where I'll be going, especially ones that I have touched me deeply. And I think about, man, who, who else is this touched with? Lord, where would you want me to do? And um, immediately thought of Beth Cook. I said, Lord, I want you to use Beth if she'd be willing. And um, she graciously agreed. So Beth, come on up. I want you to share what's on your heart. Um, regarding your journey. Well, if you ask me how I'm doing, I probably won't say fine. (laughs) I usually say, okay. God has blessed me with a wonderful life. First and foremost, with salvation and other spiritual blessings. Also with material and relational blessings. I had a wonderful marriage, albeit too short, to a wonderful man who helped me raise two wonderful kids. I've also had some hard experiences over the years. The death of my husband, Rich, and the grief I've experienced since then have by far been the hardest. A friend described grief as coming in waves. Oftentimes, grief is lapping at my ankles. Other times, it comes like a tsunami. The years I cared for my husband while he suffered from Alzheimer's disease were sad, frustrating, tedious, refining, dot, dot, dot. I had prayed for God to miraculously heal Rich, which he chose not to do. As Rich's Alzheimer's disease progressed, I asked God to fulfill his purpose for for Rich here on earth and take him home to heaven. God waited a while to do that. As Rich no longer recognized me or our kids, as he lost the ability to speak, needed help with routine tasks, and continued to decline, I told myself I was grieving the loss of him, and I wouldn't have to grieve much after he physically died. Well, that turned out not to be true. Author Ann Hood wrote, With him, life was routine. Without him, life was unbearable. Once Rich had died and Alzheimer's disease was no longer 
consuming me and my life, I experienced sadness and grief at a depth that I did not know was possible. No experience had prepared me for such loss. I lost my husband, lover, parenting partner, and best friend. I lost my identity of wife and soulmate and half of a couple. I lost my job as a caregiver and a patient advocate. I lost my expectations for a future of traveling, growing old, and grandparenting together. The thought of living the next however many years without Rich was and is daunting. The person who knew me best and loved me most was gone, and he was never coming back. I missed and still miss the pre-Alzheimer's Rich so, so much. Rich was a born-again believer, and since he had placed in faith in his faith in Jesus for salvation, I know without a doubt that he is in heaven. He no longer suffers from Alzheimer's disease. He's in the presence of Jesus, experiencing the worship of our Savior in its purest forms. But knowing these truths didn't keep me from profound grief. Initially, I was extremely tired and extremely sad. I slept a lot and I cried a lot. I had no desire to read the Bible. I was incapable of praying for myself or anyone else. I didn't want to hear that Rich was in a better place. I didn't want to be reminded I'd see him again, even though these things are true. I missed him terribly, and selfishly, I wanted him here. We were not created for death. God created us to be in relationship with him and also with other people. And I miss my person. I miss his voice. I miss his smile, I miss his smell, I miss his touch. Someone wrote, I miss you even when I'm not thinking of you. And I've experienced that kind of missing. In the midst of Rich's Alzheimer's disease, in the midst of my grief, in the midst of his dying, and in the midst of my grief, and all the changes in my life, Thankfully, God was and is graciously present and unchanging. I did not grieve as those who have no hope, but I did grieve. I'm still grieving. I still miss Rich terribly and often want him here. In Job 23.10, speaking of God, Job says, But he knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. God is helping me move forward in my grief journey. It still seems like a long road ahead. He surrounded me with loving, empathetic, praying friends and family members, many of who are in this room. I spend time reading the Bible, and God is teaching me a lot through the study of his word. I'm back in the habit of praying for myself and others. 
Sometimes words don't come, and I rely on the Holy Spirit's groaning to do my praying for me. And I'm grateful for the certainty that I will spend eternity in heaven with Jesus, and I'll see Rich there too.